Through the horrible negligence and conditions these young boys experienced while in the care of UCLA doctors, this case has forever changed protections for individuals with mental disorders because their very condition can cause risks when involved in research participation. One of the participants, Antonio La Madrid, should not have even been subject to the study as he had a history of drug use. With this in mind, the researchers should not have let him enter the study as he was not only a schizophrenia patient, but also had an increased risk in mental health in his mental health record. As a result of the relapse, Antonio Le Madrid took his own life from the top of the UCLA building only a day after he was removed from the study. His experience cannot be ignored, even though the doctors involved believed that they had no unethical concerns of their work. These researchers only saw Le Madrid's life as another statistic in their study and not a human life lost because of their wrongdoings. In 1992, the heartbroken parents of the boys filed lawsuits against UCLA administrators, the doctors involved, the hospital review board, and others. Following the lawsuit of 1994, the Institute of Health found the study lacked proper procedures for getting informed consent from the patients. Not only was the consent lacking, but the premise of the experimental study did not use common sense. Two psychologists who specialize in schizophrenia, a baseline part of treatment includes medication such as schizo medication as schizophrenia is chronic and cannot be treated with only talk therapy. As you can see, and as you have heard throughout this podcast, the processes and procedures of the UCLA schizophrenic study was extremely unethical, not only in the eyes of the American Psychology Association, but unethical to a normal human being reviewing this case. These adults entered the study to receive help for their condition or no alternatives to medication that they were prescribed. Instead, their medication was removed and several patients had relapses, which can leave a permanent effect on their mental and or physical health, which has damaged them for the rest of their lives. All right, so the next part of our podcast is going to have a special guest, Ms. Jamie Fallhaber, who is a mental health counselor here at CHS, and she also has a bachelor's degree in psychology. So we wanted to include her to get a psychologist or a mental health counselor point of view on this study. So I think one of like the really confusing aspects of why this study even took place in the first and in, in the beginning was just the fact that the research became, researchers became so blinded by the desire for results that the patient's mental health was at risk mm -hmm. and that was very costly for them. So I was just wondering if you had any input of that and how that could happen in the first place. Yeah, well, first, thank you for having me. Um, and I think, you know, um, you know, unfortunately, like you said, they became so blinded by the desire for the results that they weren't considering the impact on the, the patients. But I'm wondering, I'm wondering if one, that they were in, de in denial that it was happening in the first place, or if they were still became so enthralled by the idea that it could be helpful and that maybe um, they were thinking it wasn't working right now, but they you know, could get there, they could get the results they wanted, so they kept pushing through. Um, or, you know, maybe they were thinking maybe some of these patients were suffering, but ultimately they were thinking of kind of the greater good. So I'm wondering if that's, if that's what their mindset was. Just like a lack of um, the consideration of the mm -hmm. lasting effect of the patient's mental health, even right. post-study. So this is definitely a big concern. And when it comes to 
after the study, would there be any suggestions from your end on what the researchers possibly could have done just to make this more comprehensive of the patients that they were working with? Yeah, and going forward, kind mm -hmm. of. Yeah, I think just, um, again, more follow-up, more consideration of patients' mental state when they did consent, you know, more medication management after the study, um, again, more follow-up, and then, yeah, really just considering you know, all of the factors that could have influenced their consent and also were the patients and family members provided with enough knowledge on what the um, negative impacts could be. Now, throughout this entire podcast and this interview as well, we've been able to pick apart the details of the study and the problems with it, the design process and just how they proceeded with their um, desires and the results of it. But how do we avoid this going forward, like the ethics codes and anything that they may have violated regarding to the patient's health or even their consent? I think one thing that's important is to continue to revisit. So maybe a patient might consent and it, it was an appropriate consent and there was no other external influences. But again, throughout the study, if things become more dangerous, um, I think continue continue to check in with the patients, make sure that their consent still stands. Um, you know, as things unfold, you know, it might not be appropriate to continue with the study and then being able to, you know, um, to appropriately kind of um, terminate the study or pause it while, um, you know, more kind of independent research is done that couldn't impact a uh, patient. I think that would be, important and also just continuous follow-up because the researchers it seemed like they kind of um once they from what i read and what i've heard what once the patient stopped the participating they weren't there wasn't any follow-up and that's when it became really dangerous mm -hmm. yeah that's definitely true it did become very dangerous and detrimental for a lot of patients involved in this yeah. so thank you so much for your yeah, input that definitely you. puts a new perspective on this yeah Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. So that was Miss Jamie Falberg. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Hi, welcome to our podcast called Blinded by Results with McKenna and Tavia. Today we're going to be talking about an unethical psychology study done with schizophrenia patients. In Los Angeles, 1983, psychologist Michael Gitlin and psychiatrist Keith Neutrilin at University of California in Los Angeles had a burning question about their schizophrenia patients. What exactly would happen when they were taken off of their antipsychotic medication? As a well-known hospital with reputable doctors, the UCLA Medical Center is ranked number one hospital in the state of California. The main purpose of the schizophrenia study was to examine and record the effects of being taken off of a prescribed antipsychotic medication and to try to predict what causes a relapse. From these results, the researchers were hoping to develop new alternatives to treat schizophrenia besides the antipsychotic medications that are being used and prescribed today. The researchers were well aware of the dangers of removing medication from a patient's routine, which could result in negative side effects, such as relapse which can be very damaging and dangerous to a patient suffering from schizophrenia. The center of this experiment revolved around attempting to avoid horrible side effects that came with these medications. Many patients experienced tardive dyskinesia, a movement disorder that is reversible but almost always permanent. Many patients had a hard choice to make. Do they sacrifice their mental or physical health? 
Now, two specific patients enrolled in the study were Antonio La Madrid and Gregory Aller. Gregory was 24 years old when he heard aliens talking to him. From this, his parents then enrolled him into the UCLA study to seek help. There, he was doing very well and maintained a 3.8 average GPA in his college courses, which is pretty impressive, especially from someone suffering from this condition. Everything was going great until he entered a phase in which he was taken off of the medication and his mental health went downhill from there, but we'll get into that later. Antonio was a 23-year-old who was also enrolled, but later committed suicide days after being removed from the study, where it was decided that he needed to seek alternative care that the study and the doctors there could not provide to him. These are only the stories of two out of the several hundred individuals involved. Now remember, both of these patients' names for later. They will be extremely important further into this case. Many refer to the schizophrenic mind as split between reality and their mental state. Schizophrenia is a chronic condition that has an onset age between the early to late 20s, striking many individuals in their most vulnerable mental state. There is no cure to this mental illness, and many of these patients who suffer from this condition have only one safety net, their medication. Many patients also use talk therapy to cope with their symptoms as relapse as possible, even on medication. Relapse can include heightened symptoms such as delusions, auditory, visual, olfactory, and touch hallucinations, as well as emotional distress. The suicide mortality rate is about 10%, and this disorder attacks the individual's thought process. When medication is reduced or not distributed to the patient, there is only a 30% success rate of avoiding severe relapse. One of the first steps of, the, of this experiment is the consent aspect. All the patients involved in the study signed off on a legal informed consent document regarding the treatment they would receive while in the care of psychologists Michael Gitlin and psychiatrist Keith Newchertlin. The document stated that their conditions may improve, worsen, or remain unchanged while they were enrolled in the study. The patients did agree to that, that they understood this part of the study, but they did not know the full effects of the study or what would happen to them. Patients were not aware of the full consequences of being taken off of their medication. They were not informed of the dangerous effects of a possible relapse or the negative side effects that would occur following the medication being taken out of their bodily systems. To give some background on schizophrenia medications, there are two generations of antipsychotics for schizophrenia, the first generation and the second generation. In the articles surrounding this experiment, we can infer that the researchers examined the patients while they were on their medication. Later on, they could use these observations to compare the patient's symptoms from when they had the medication versus when they were taking off of it. Taking into account the severely damaging mental effects of this study that was imposed upon the participants, it is clear to see the errors made by these doctors and experts. When conducting research on human subjects, above all, medical professionals should strive to do no harm to their patients. Subjects that leave in a worsened mental state than in which they entered conflicts with this moral and ethical obligation of many research standards. To take away the only lifeline to reality from these individuals, their mental state can spiral into a very dangerous place that may include suicidal or homicidal thoughts or actions. Which can be very scary to both the doctors, the patients, and or their loved ones. Now, the next steps or processes in this experiment was the removal of the medications from the patient's routines. These drugs are prescribed specifically to help someone with schizophrenia manage their symptoms and their everyday lives. 
Any and all of these drugs are necessary for someone who has been diagnosed and the consequences of drug withdrawal can be dangerous to this person, especially their mental and physical health. When the psychologists in the study took patients off of their meds, some patients suffered severe withdrawal symptoms and fatal relapses. For the patients involved, there was a high possibility that they would have a relapse or enter a state of psychosis once they were off the medication. If you didn't know before, psychosis is where a person cannot distinguish reality from the positive and negative symptoms. Once a person has entered in psychosis, they have relapsed into their past state of mind. Now, a relapse is increased symptoms resulting in psychosis due to lack of medication or environmental factors such as stress, trauma, home life, work, or even school. Relapsing in a schizophrenic disorder is being taken off of your medication and you begin to hear or see things that you did before you began taking this medication. If the psychologists and doctors in the study saw these changes and symptoms in the patients, they should have reintroduced the medication back into their routines or removed them from the study to receive the care they needed for a relapse. Instead, they continued with the study, causing serious damage to the patient's health, which makes this experiment extremely unethical. Hi, welcome to our podcast called Blinded by Results with McKenna and Tavia. Today, we're going to be talking about an unethical psychology study done with schizophrenia patients. In Los Angeles, 1983, psychologist Michael Gitlin and psychiatrist Keith Neutrilin at University of California in Los Angeles had a burning question about their schizophrenia patients. What exactly would happen when they were taken off of their antipsychotic medication? As a well-known hospital with reputable doctors, the UCLA Medical Center is ranked number one hospital in the state of California. The main purpose of the schizophrenia study was to examine and record the effects of being taken off of a prescribed antipsychotic medication and to try to predict what causes a relapse. From these results, the researchers were hoping to develop new alternatives to treat schizophrenia besides the antipsychotic medications that are being used and prescribed today. The researchers were well aware of the dangers of removing medication from a patient's routine, which could result in negative side effects, such as relapse, which can be very damaging and dangerous to a patient suffering from schizophrenia. The center of this experiment revolved around attempting to avoid horrible side effects that came with these medications. Many patients experienced tardive dyskinesia, a movement disorder that is reversible but almost always permanent. Many patients had a hard choice to make. Do they sacrifice their mental or physical health? Now, two specific patients enrolled in the study were Antonio La Madrid and Gregory Aller. Gregory was 24 years old when he heard aliens talking to him. From this, his parents then enrolled him into the UCLA study to seek help. There, he was doing very well and maintained a 3.8 average GPA in his college courses, which is pretty impressive, especially from someone suffering from this condition. Everything was going great until he entered a phase in which he was taken off of the medication and his mental health went downhill from there, but we'll get into that later. Antonio was a 23-year-old who was also enrolled, but later committed suicide days after being removed from the study, where it was decided that he needed to seek alternative care that the study and the doctors there could not provide to him. These are only the stories of two out of the several hundred individuals involved. Now remember, both of these patients' names for later. They will be extremely important further into this case. Many refer to the schizophrenic mind as split between reality and their mental state. Schizophrenia is a chronic condition that has an onset age between the early to late 20s, striking many individuals in their most vulnerable mental state. 
There is no cure to this mental illness, and many of these patients who suffer from this condition have only one safety net, their medication. Many patients also use talk therapy to cope with their symptoms as relapse as possible, even on medication. Relapse can include heightened symptoms such as delusions, auditory, visual, olfactory, and touch hallucinations, as well as emotional distress. The suicide mortality rate is about 10%, and this disorder attacks the individual's thought process. When medication is reduced or not distributed to the patient, there is only a 30% success rate of avoiding severe relapse. One of the first steps of, the, of this experiment is the consent aspect. All the patients involved in the study signed off on a legal informed consent document regarding the treatment they would receive while in the care of psychologist Michael Gitlin and psychiatrist Keith Newchertlin. The document stated that their conditions may improve, worsen, or remain unchanged while they were enrolled in the study. The patients did agree to that, that they understood this part of the study. They did not know the full effects of the study or what would happen to them. Patients were not aware of the full consequences of being taken off of their medication. They were not informed of the dangerous effects of a possible relapse or the negative side effects that would occur following the medication being taken out of their bodily systems. To give some background on schizophrenia medications, there are two generations of antipsychotics for schizophrenia, the first generation and the second generation. The first generation drugs include chlorpromazine, fluphenazine, and a few others. They are com less commonly prescribed today because of the negative side effects they can bring, such as possibly permanent tardive dyskinesia, which is a movement disorder that includes involuntary and abnormal movements of the jaw, lips, and tongue. It can be reversed, but in most cases, it is a permanent condition. The second generation are more commonly prescribed today, as they have a much lower risk and possibly of any negative or fatal side effects. These second generation medications include aripirazole, acenapine, and a few others as well that I cannot pronounce. From reading the articles surrounding this experiment, we can infer that the researchers examined the patients while they were on their medication. Later on, they could use these observations to compare the patient's symptoms from when they had the medication versus when they were taking off of it. Taking into account the severely damaging mental effects of this study that was imposed upon the participants, it is clear to see the errors made by these doctors and experts. When conducting research on human subjects, above all, medical professionals should strive to do no harm to their patients. Subjects that leave in a worsened mental state than in which they entered conflicts with this moral and ethical obligation of many research standards. To take away the only lifeline to reality from these individuals, their mental state can spiral into a very dangerous place that may include suicidal or homicidal thoughts or actions. Which can be very scary to both the doctors, the patients, and or their loved ones. Now the next steps or processes in this experiment was the removal of the medications from the patient's routines. These drugs are prescribed specifically to help someone with schizophrenia manage their symptoms in their everyday lives. Any and all of these drugs are necessary for someone who has been diagnosed and the consequences of drug withdrawal can be dangerous to this person, especially their mental and physical health. When the psychologists in the study took patients off of their meds, some patients suffered severe withdrawal symptoms and fatal relapses. For the patients involved, there was a high possibility that they would have a relapse or enter a state of psychosis once they were off the medication. 
If you didn't know before, psychosis is where a person cannot distinguish reality from the positive and negative symptoms, such as depression, which is a negative symptom. And a positive symptom would be delusions or hallucinations. Once a person has entered, experienced psychosis, they have relapsed into their past state of mind. Now, a relapse is increased symptoms resulting in psychosis due to lack of medication or environmental factors such as stress, trauma, home life, work, or even school. Relapsing in a schizophrenic disorder is being taken off of your medication and you begin to hear or see things that you did before you began taking this medication. Signs of a schizophrenic relapse can include restless sleep, feeling tense or fearful, difficulty concentration, acting agitated, irritable, or quick-tempered, difficulty or inability to cope with simple everyday tasks excessive tiredness and lack of energy, lots of interest in activities, confusion or disordered thinking, and or reappearance of worsening or worsening of psychotic symptoms, such as delusions or hallucinations, as I had mentioned before. If the psychologists and doctors in the study saw these changes in symptoms in the patients, they should have reintroduced the medication back into their routines or removed them from the study to receive the care they needed for a relapse. Instead, they continued with the study, causing serious damage to the patient's health, which makes this experiment extremely unethical. Through the horrible negligence and conditions these young boys experienced while in the care of UCLA doctors, this case has forever changed protections for individuals with mental disorders because their very condition can cause risks when involved in research participation. One of the participants, Antonio La Madrid, should not have even been subject to the study as he had a history of drug use. With this in mind, the researchers should not have let him enter the study as he was not only a schizophrenia patient, but also had an increased risk in mental health in his mental health record. As a result of the relapse, Antonio La Madrid took his own life from the top of the UCLA building only a day after he was removed from the study. His experience cannot be ignored, even though the doctors involved believed that they had no unethical concerns of their work. These researchers only saw Madrid's life as another statistic in their study and not a human life lost because of their wrongdoings. In 1992, the heartbroken parents of the boys filed lawsuits against UCLA administrators, the doctors involved, the hospital review board, and others. Following the lawsuit of 1994, the Institute of Health found the study lacked proper procedures for getting informed consent from the patients. Not only was the consent lacking, but the premise of the experimental study did not use common sense. Two psychologists who specialize in schizophrenia, a baseline part of treatment includes medication such as schizo medication as schizophrenia is chronic and cannot be treated with only talk therapy. As you can see, and as you have heard throughout this podcast, the processes and procedures of the UCLA schizophrenic study was extremely unethical, not only in the eyes of the American Psychology Association, but unethical to a normal human being reviewing this case. These adults entered the study to receive help for their condition or new alternatives to medication that they were prescribed. Instead, their medication was removed and several patients had relapses, which can leave a permanent effect on their mental and or physical health which has damaged them for the rest of their lives. All right, so the next part of our podcast is going to have a special guest. 
Ms. Jamie Fallhaber, who is a mental health counselor here at CHS, and she also has a bachelor's degree in psychology. So we wanted to include her to get a psychologist or a mental health counselor point of view on this study. So I think one of like the really confusing aspects of why this study even took place in the first and in, in the beginning was just the fact that the research became, researchers became so blinded by the desire for results that the patient's mental health was at risk and that was very costly for them. So I was just wondering if you had any input of that and how that could happen in the first place. Yeah, well, first, thank you for having me. Um, and I think, you know, and, you know, unfortunately, like you said, they became so blinded by the desire for the results that they weren't considering the impact on the, the patients. But I'm wondering, I'm wondering if one, that they were in, de in denial that it was happening in the first place, or if they were still became so enthralled by the idea that it could be helpful and that maybe um, they were thinking it wasn't working right now, but they you know, could get there, they could get the results they wanted, so they kept pushing through. Um, or, you know, maybe they were thinking maybe some of these patients were suffering, but ultimately they were thinking of kind of the greater good. So I'm wondering if that's, if that's what their mindset was. I totally agree with that. Now, going back to the design processes and study, how would you create the study to become more helpful or beneficial to the patients enrolled? I think definitely having more... Um, I think we can just edit yeah. this. So going back to the design processes and the first steps of the study, how would you recreate the study to become more helpful or beneficial to the patients enrolled in it? Yeah, I think that um, more follow-up, um, you know, more follow-up and making sure to check in with patients on how they're, you know, feeling is also checking in to see if they wanted to continue with the study because um, there could be a could have been a point where maybe they wanted to withdraw or also noticing you know at that point if some of the patients were um in a state of psychosis they might not have been able to really necessarily um their consent might have not been valid at that point so maybe considering having them withdraw um so yeah follow up and just continuous check-in and medication management um, even after the study. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like you said, there was just a very uh, big lack of consent and this is definitely a huge ethic ethic concern and we had mentioned a few of them um, previous to this and I was wondering, since you do have a little bit of a background in research, are there any other concerns that we may have missed? Yeah, I think the big thing is that one of the um, patients in particular was 24 years old, but yet his parents seem to have been um, making that decision for him. Um, I don't know if they spoke with him about it and he eventually consented, but regardless, I think his consent was um, definitely influenced by his parents. And I think that should have been considered or reconsidered and maybe even allowing him into the, into the um, study to begin with. And um, even after the study, like you said, there was just like a lack of um, the consideration of the mm -hmm. lasting effect of the patient's mental health, even right. post-study. So this is definitely a big concern. And when it comes to 
after the study, would there be any suggestions from your end on what the researchers possibly could have done just to make this more comprehensive of the patients that they were working with? Yeah, and going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think just, um, again, more follow-up, more consideration of um, the patient's mental state when they did consent. Um, you know, if also, um, you know, more medication management after the study, um, again, more follow-up, and then, yeah, really just considering, you know, all of the factors that could have influenced their consent and also were the patients and family members provided with enough knowledge on what the um, negative impacts could be. And now this study didn't only affect the patients individually, it also affected their family and their loved ones. So what type of impact do you think it had on the family members of those patients? Well, you know, some of the family members sounded like, you know, they lost, they lost their either children or whomever was participating in the study. So that in itself is a huge, is a, the greatest impact. Um, but also, it sounds like, you know, the researchers still had not um, necessarily come to terms with the impact, the negative impact this study had on these patients. So I think, too, that they, they haven't had any type of closure. Yeah, that's very true. Um, and they would definitely need to work towards rehabilitation just because a lot of them were really damaged and, and negatively impacted by this. And from a mental health counselor's point of view, how would you work towards that state of rehabilitation with these patients? Yeah, again, I think the follow-up, um, making sure they're on the appropriate dosage, the appropriate medication, and um, meeting with them regularly, at least once a week, um, because schizophrenic patients can tend to, when they're feeling good, they're, you know, more active um, taking themselves off the medication. So just continuing with talk therapy um, and, you know, following up and making sure they're continuing with their medication. They also could be experiencing some, you know, post-traumatic stress from the study. Um, they're already schizophrenic patients struggle with trusting people as well especially when they're in a state of psychosis. So I imagine the patients that participated are, you know, at, at this point have, you know, really um, more intense issues with trusted people. Now, throughout this entire podcast and this interview as well, we've been able to pick apart the details of the study and the problems with it, of the design process and just how they proceeded with their um, desires and the results of it. But how do we avoid this going forward, like the ethics codes and anything that they may have violated regarding to the patient's health or even their consent? I think one thing that's important is to continue to revisit. So maybe a patient might consent and it, it was an appropriate consent and there was no other external influences. But again, throughout the study, if things become more dangerous, um, I think continue continue to check in with the patients, make sure that their consent still stands. Um, you know, as things unfold, you know, it might not be appropriate to continue with the study and then being able to, you know, um, to appropriately kind of um, terminate the study or pause it while, um, you know, more kind of independent research is done that couldn't impact a uh, patient. I think that would be, important and then also just continuous follow-up 
because the researchers it seemed like they kind of um, once they from what I read and what I've heard what once those patients stopped the participating they weren't there wasn't any follow-up and that's when it became really dangerous Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely true. It did become very dangerous and detrimental for a lot of patients involved in this. Yeah. So thank you so much for your yeah, input. That definitely you. puts a new perspective on this. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. So that was Ms. Jamie Falberg. Thank you so much again. Thank you.